you're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I am here, as always, with my man, Matt Hartwell. Matt, victory Sunday. Michigan is 5-0. and How are you? I'm feeling great, buddy. As you know, I was uh, out last week with a little bit of a sickness, but back at it. Got my cough drops here. Ready to record this podcast and talk about this win, buddy. Man, I'm so glad you're feeling better. I had some great conversations with Jared and Andy from the Out of the Blue pod, but you were sorely missed. Um, I tell you what, we've got a great show for today. It's always a little sweeter when you get a W on Saturday. Uh, Before we get going, let me remind our fans and followers that the Big House Bleachers podcast is brought to you by Fanatics. Fanatics is your one-stop shop for all your Michigan game day swag. Uh, If anybody's interested in getting some some maybe some winter clothes because it's getting a little cooler. Got to get that uh, winter maize and blue gear. Head on into the description. Find the link that says uh, Fanatics link in the description. It'll take you right to the Michigan page on Fanatics uh, and shop away. All right, let's talk Michigan, Nebraska. Michigan comes in uh, to Lincoln. It's windy. It's hot. Kind of an unusual com- combination of weather circumstances. A guy like me that gets nervous about literally everything when it comes to Michigan football, I was sitting there like, oh man, it's going to be windy. They got a really good rush defense. This could be bad. Uh, I didn't think it was a trap game or anything, but I was like, mate, you know, we might see one of these painful Michigan wins where it's like the score is not what we want it to be. That's not what we saw. Michigan uh, got out to an easy 42 to nothing lead, gave up their uh, their new tradition of giving up a late score in the game when the when the subs get in and uh, forty two to seven just so Jesse Minter has something to yell at his guys about. Uh, but yeah, felt pretty good, right? Michigan was hitting on all cylinders and uh, probably the most balanced performance that we've seen thus far, wouldn't you say? Man, I'll tell you, a shutout is high on my list of things that I want for this team so bad, just because. Uh, especially those starters, man. They are just giving it their all on defense, doing such a great job of shutting these teams down. Um, gave up another garbage touchdown in garbage time. But, uh, you know, what really more can you say when garbage time for this team qualifies as, like, the entirety of the fourth quarter? So uh, it's it's a little hard, a little a little a lot to ask for to just give up no points whenever you're resting your starters that easy. But overall, Mike, I was really impressed, uh, especially with the trench play in this game. I feel like the O-line probably had their best game of the season. And on top of that, I'm really loving this uh, four-man rotation of the edge guys. It's really, really showing uh, as a successful strategy for this team through the first five games. And, uh, just really impressed with the trench play in general this game. Yeah, I genuinely couldn't even tell you who started at the edge position because all four of them got in, uh, had considerable minutes, played well. Uh, the offensive line was looking, uh, they were humming. They were humming this game. They were looking a little bit more like uh, the offensive lines of old. Uh, do you think that Ladarius Henderson coming in for Miles Hinton plays a little bit of a factor in the chemistry on that O-line. Absolutely, man. And uh, kudos to you. I know you've been high on the on the Ladarius Henderson train since the start of the season. Great to see him finally getting a substantial amount of run in this one. And really to great effect. You know, he had really a critical uh, block, which allowed, I believe it was Khalil Mullings, to break loose on that touchdown run. Uh, that he had in the first quarter. So uh, I was I was really impressed. I haven't had a chance to dissect the whole tape yet, but from what I've seen, Ladarius Henderson came through huge yesterday, and I'm really excited to see how that kind of continues to gel going forward. Well, I tell you what, let's hand out some Player of the Game awards, and of course we call that... This guy right here, and this guy right here! This guy right here. 
All right, so let's. I'll let you do the honors, man. Who is your player of the game? Who is your this guy right here? Man, I uh, I was kind of hoping you you would go first, so I didn't take yours. But uh, I'm gonna. You're do not it. gonna I'm take gonna mine. Do it. You're, you're I'm not gonna take Roman mine. Wilson as my this guy right here this week. Uh, he has just been right on the money, man. The guy lives in the fucking end zone. Uh, it's just great to see, especially from a Michigan receiver. Wolverine fans haven't had something like this in a receiver in quite some time in terms of just a, a primary target that is always reliable in the end zone. And Roman Wilson has been that guy. Another couple touchdowns, including an incredible catch, bouncing it off the defender's helmet, securing the touchdown, probably one of the toughest touchdowns that I've ever seen secured uh, in that type of fashion. But my this guy right here has got to go to Roman this week, buddy. I'm sorry. This guy right here and this guy right here. You know, you can have Roman Wilson. And I kind of thought he was the most obvious answer. So I purposely prepared some less obvious things. But it's funny, you know, Jim Harbaugh was asked about Roman Wilson in, in the post game, And he said, quote, this guy lives in the fucking end zone. <laughs> no, of course he didn't say that, but I just love, I just love it, man. That should be his little like slogan, man. Uh, my this guy right here, I, I actually you were you were talking about the edge guys, and I've been going back and forth between two edge guys, and so I know we we said that we're gonna stop doing a bunch of honorable mentions on this segment. I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna give an honorable mention here. My honorable mention goes to Josiah Stewart because he was active. Uh, he had two sacks, five tackles, was really just killing it. He was in, you know, he was all over the place. He looked two good. tackles for loss as well. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he he absolutely um, was was living in the in the backfield. But my this guy right here is Braden McGregor. I I am just thrilled. To, to see him playing the way that he's playing. And let me tell you why he earned my this guy right here. It's because not only was he the, the player of the game for me, he, was, he had the play of the game for me. And this is subtle because when you ask people, what's the play of the game? Everybody's going to say the Roman Wilson helmet catch. And then you might have a crowd that's like, Kenneth Grant getting that interception. And for me... The play of the game was Nebraska had marched it down 63 yards. It was 14 to nothing. They were in scoring position. They decided to go for it on fourth and one. Think about how different this game looks and feels if Nebraska converts that fourth down and then they get into the end zone and it's a 14 to seven game, right? The optics of that are not Michigan's dominating. It's yeah, all of a sudden then it's like, oh, Michigan's in a tight one. You know, it's like the everything, even if the final scores ended the same, uh, the optics of the game would have been very different. So fourth and one, Nebraska runs up the gut. They showed us exactly what they were gonna do. They did it anyway. And the defensive line as a whole got an amazing push. But Braden McGregor, I want to say it was the Nebraska running back that tried to pick him up on a block. Braden McGregor just bull rushed his way to the running back. Well, I guess it wasn't the running back because the running back had the ball. Somebody on the outside was was uh, trying to block McGregor, and he just he bull rushed his way into the backfield, blew up the play. Uh, a couple of a couple of Michigan defenders ended up making the tackle, including McGregor. So he gets my this guy right here and this guy right here. And actually, buddy, he even had that deflection that winded up in the hands of Kenneth Grant yesterday. So I strongly was considering uh, McGregor as as my this guy right here, or at least an honorable mention. I know I've been pretty tough on him, uh, especially last year. But I was just like I said at the beginning of the show, just overly impressed with uh, just that four man edge rotation, the way that they're able to just get all of those guys involved and just get a change of pace going on the edges with each of those four guys every single game you know it's never just one guy each of them are making valuable contributions and it may not be one guy having a multi-sack game every single game but it's still just as effective and i love it i love what i'm seeing from them love what i'm seeing from Braden mcgregor 
Yeah, good call out that he's the one that made that deflection. Now I should have led with that actually. <laughs> yeah, so he so he, he was, was making like the place. It, yeah, he was all over the place. Um, and it's funny because we we haven't even mentioned Derek Moore's name, and Derek Moore maybe had his best game in a Michigan uniform. I mean, he looked really good. So in the trenches, offensive line, defensive line, uh, just a complete performance. And it's it's funny when when the lines do what they do. All of a sudden, the running backs and receivers and cornerbacks, they all start looking better, right? Like when you take care of things in the trenches. So uh, that was fantastic to see. I, I want to give out another honorable mention, but this one, Do doesn't go, this one doesn't go to a Michigan guy. This, I'm going to the Nebraska side, and it's not a player. It's not a coach. It's a fan. I want to give an honorable this guy right here to a Nebraska fan who was uh, up in the front row holding a limp, dead corn stalk, uh, you know, texting on his phone with his little corn stalk in his hand, playing his little corn stalk like a gu- guitar. I mean, it was just, it was one of the funniest and also one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. This, this poor guy that's been just, you know, miserable watching this football team with his little dead corn stalk in his hand. I'm going to give him an honorary. This guy right here and this guy right here. This guy right here. <laughs> Did you Very see that fitting. guy? <laughs> Very fitting. Yeah. I didn't see him, but I kind of wish I would have now. So I'll probably have to go back and, and watch the tape for dead corn stock guy. I'll, cl- I'll clip it and put it on social. It's just too, it's too funny to not show, man. I'll, I'll clip it up. I'll, I'll use this and clip it and throw it on social for you so you can see it. Um, all right. Let's get to a... You want to do sheesh or unsuspecting heroes? Let's transition to sheesh uh, just because I I need to give credit for a play that we've already talked about just a little bit. So do I. I think we have the same one here. All right. Let's do our segment that we call sheesh. And of course, that is pretty self-explanatory, right? If something something happens that makes you say sheesh, uh, then it lands it on this segment. Um, all right, Matt, what, what this week made you say sheesh? I know we've already talked about Braden McGregor uh, deflecting that pass, buddy, but I just can't let a show go by without just giving a shout out to my man, Kenneth Grant. The guy is a star through five games. You know, yeah. this is something that, uh, that we didn't necessarily, I'm not going to say we didn't see it coming because everybody knew Kenneth Grant it was going to be good. But that guy just it has an attraction to the big play for this Michigan team. I, uh, I was watching the game on YouTube TV, so I was a couple seconds behind on the stream. But uh, I saw the Michigan football account tweet out, Kenneth Grant interception and I was like what and then sure (laughs) enough uh, a few seconds later got a glimpse of the big guy coming down with the INT and uh, you just love to see it you love to see a big D lineman pulling down an interception regardless of how it happens and Kenneth Grant continues to do just amazing things uh, on the defensive side of the ball for this football team so KG you've got my sheesh this week Kenneth Grant, and I actually might have him for a later segment, so we're doubling up on a lot of these guys today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double up on something that's already been mentioned, but it, it's genuinely the thing that made me say sheesh this week. Like I always try to reserve my sheesh for something that literally makes me stand up and, and yell inaudible noises in the middle of the game, you know? And uh, I guess inaudible is not the right word. Super audible noises would be the uh, the word there. So th- the Roman Wilson helmet helmet catch. I mean, that was absolutely phenomenal. JJ forced it a little, came up a little bit short. It wasn't a bad throw. Like he he let he let Roman uh, make a play on it, uh, and I think he knew that the defender had his back uh, to JJ, and so it allowed him to make a little bit riskier of a throw. So I'm not going to get mad at JJ about that one. Uh, Roman Wilson, though, that was all about Roman Wilson. I mean, he made the play, uh, not to mention he had his little toe-touch grab in the back of the end zone with J.J. scrambling. The chemistry between these two guys is unlike anything we've seen since Henny, Braylon, or even Gerback, 
Desmond Howard. I mean, we're we're talking about a, a phenomenal chemistry that these two guys have created. This is the game for me that makes me realize that what we saw in week one, that three touchdown uh, game, that was not an anomaly. That's that's the norm. That's what that's what we're looking at this year, and it makes me feel very confident that these guys uh, can respectively go after some records this year. So Roman Wilson, helmet grab. Sheesh. Let's move on to. I got to throw out an honorable mention as well, just because. All right, what you got? When you said when you said it makes you stand up in audible noises, there's another thing that I thought of that I just got to give a quick shout out to. My man Christian Boyvin, just coming out of nowhere with the incredible uh, ransack tackle on special teams. I mean, I was I just had to wait for a second to see who that was that did that, but. Yeah. Man just absolutely ran through the entire <laughs> entire special team D of the other team and just flat out flattened that returner. Uh, Christian Boyfriend definitely had me saying sheesh as well for that one. Sheesh! You've always got to respect a guy that's just been standing on the sidelines, just watching everybody else play, just ready to... Like, I don't know, I, I, but I don't think he's a normal rotation guy on special teams. I, th- I don't, I, I, I've never heard his name called before. Like, when I saw that hit, I, I had to figure out, like, who the heck it was. And so, absolutely, that deserves an honorable mention. And since we're talking about hard hits, it wasn't a good play because Nebraska gained yardage, but uh, there was an Ernest Hausman tackle that was, it, I'm starting to realize that Hausman is a, like, just a elite hitter. Um, he the speed and power with which he goes about his business is exciting. So I'm excited to see what Hausman does in the weeks and years to come. Um, all right, we've got a brand new segment for our listeners, and this was one that you that you wanted to bring up here, Matt, and I love it. We're calling this unsuspecting heroes, and so it's basically guys that. Uh, I wouldn't even say Michigan has needed heroes per se this season yet because we haven't really been in any uh, highly competitive games, but the the sentiment of it remains the same. Like these guys are have had some heroic performances and they're not, it's not Blake Corum, JJ McCarthy, Roman Wilson, the guys we expect. And so I'll let you lead off here. Who I've got a few names. And so who is your unsuspecting hero of the season thus far? Absolutely, buddy. And there's just some guys that deserve to be talked about that aren't necessarily like making the flashiest plays of the week or or what have you, but they've been a force through these first five weeks and are definitely kind of sculpting a little bit of the future of Michigan football right before our very eyes. The first name that I'm going to call out is Samaj Morgan. I mean, when we were talking about this freshman trio of wide receivers and everything like that at the start of the season, I don't think that there was anybody that seriously considered that uh, one of these guys might be a, a linchpin of this uh, this team through the first five weeks. And not saying that Samaj Morgan is necessarily a linchpin, but the guy has come up with some big plays when his number's been called and it what it shows to me is that it's not a fluke. He's been very consistently involved uh, pretty much each week in the offense and uh, very excited from what I'm seeing from him. So Samaj Morgan has definitely been something of a bright spot that I don't think most of anybody saw coming heading into this season. He is clearly the freshman that uh, freshman receiver that the coaching staff loves the most. And we we talked about Car- Carmelo English. We talked about Frederick Moore coming into the season. We knew Samaj Morgan was on that list, uh, but he's the guy. I mean, we we uh, last week when we saw them go to Samaj Morgan in the end zone on a third and seven, to me, that's when I was like, oh, wow. Like, they really trust this guy. He did have a drop against Nebraska uh, yesterday. He had a drop, which was really his first mistake, but... The thing I love about him is his quickness. I mean, he is he is very crisp when he gets very crisp, very quick when he gets the ball. So he's not done making plays this season. So great call out with Carmelo English. 
Um, so for me, I'm going back to the beginning of the season and, and like who are some names that we just really didn't expect to be uh, game breaker style players. And I think the most obvious answer to start with is Keon Sab, right? Keon Sab has really stepped into this secondary and made a name for himself. Uh, we didn't know, you know, if, if Macari and Rod Moore went down, like we didn't know how, who was going to rotate into that secondary. Would they, would it be Zeke Barry? Would, would they move around to Marion Walker? Like what, you know, what is that going to look like? Jair Hill even. Uh, well, Keon Sab has, has turned himself into the name that is backing up that secondary. And in fact, because of the injuries, he started several games this year. Uh, he's led the team in snaps multiple times this season. Uh, he's had maybe one or two mistakes that are, that are notable, but he, he is not at all getting exposed on the outside, which is what you would expect a backup safety uh, to do when he comes in, in in these games with with uh, little to no experience. So Keon Sab, unsuspecting hero. Absolutely. I love it. I'm going to stay in the secondary with this next call out, but I'm going with Quentin Johnson, uh, yeah. a veteran on this team, been around for a while, and you see this guy out there making some plays through the first few weeks. You know, we had uh, Will Johnson and Rod Moore out for a little while. There's been a lot of guys that have stepped up in that secondary, uh, including Keon Sab, that have uh, have done a lot of great things. Quinton Johnson is a guy that has continued to contribute even after the return of of Will Johnson and Rod Moore. And uh, even yesterday had a, an amazingly great tipped pass that uh, almost ended up an interception for Michigan. The guy continues to make great plays in the secondary. I think that he deserves a call out. So, Quentin Johnson, we see you, and you are now a suspecting hero. <laughs> That's right. And, man, <laughs> it's just so good. It's so good to have Will Johnson back in the secondary while we're on the topic. Uh, it, he hasn't had his name called a bunch these last two games while he's been back, but you, you know, for a cornerback, that's that's a good thing. You know, normally you, you don't really want your name called unless you're getting an interception. He's just such a luxury to have back there. He makes the entire secondary better. So, uh, and then of course the guy that shares his last name, Quentin Johnson, who you just called out. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely been he's been very very good this season. Um, I'm gonna go to a guy that might it might make you scratch your head a little bit. Because you're gonna you're gonna say to me like, what are you talking about? We talk about this guy all the time. He's a superstar. How is this guy an unsuspecting hero? And then I'm gonna explain it a little bit. So Kenneth Grant, Kenneth Grant is an unsuspecting hero to me. And let's go back to the week before the spring game. So before it got announced that he was the number one overall pick in the spring game, if I asked you to list the top twenty playmakers on this Michigan team. A lot of people in hindsight might be like, oh yeah, I'd throw Kenneth Grant in there. But there, there actually were not a lot of people that were, I mean, Kenneth Grant was not really on anybody's radar. Um, he didn't get a lot of play last year. He was on that defensive line. It was all about Chris Jenkins and Mason Graham, the guys that we knew were going to be studs. And then when we really started to take a look at Kenneth Grant was that spring game uh, draft that the team does. And he got drafted number one overall, and everybody was like, wow, Kenneth Grant, number one overall. Well, we see why. You know, we, we see why that's happening. This guy uh, is an elite player, like not just a role player. Like this guy is an elite player. So to me, Kenneth Grant, uh, from, you know, all, the offseason to now has, has become an unsuspecting hero that we will definitely suspect moving forward. Absolutely. And just so critical on a lot of big plays. He was uh, very much a part of that Mike Sane were still interception last week. And uh, the guy just continues to show up big. And you're not wrong, buddy, because at the start of the season, a lot of the a lot of experts were uh, were projecting, you know, Chris Jenkins, Mason Graham as the primary threats in the middle of that interior. Of course, KG was getting mentioned. And picking up a lot of attention, especially following uh, that spring game draft. But I don't think anybody really saw this kind of impact. And uh, and if 
they if they are saying that, then they were lying because I don't think anybody mm-hmm. saw uh, Kenneth Grant making the kind of plays that he's been making through these first few weeks. The guy is an absolute stud. Can't wait to see what he does uh, going forward. But amazing call out. You got anybody else? I don't think so. I'll give a little tip of my hat to uh, Braden McGregor. We've already talked about him. I know there's a lot of people that have suspected uh, him as a possible hero this season, but I just got to eat a little bit of dirt on that one because I've been pretty critical on him and the guy has been showing up with some big plays. So in terms of where I saw him uh, in this, this defensive line rotation, Braden McGregor has come forward as a big hero for this team, and uh, kudos are necessary. Well, I've got one more that just just the last two games, and I don't know if calling him an unsuspecting hero is right, but I just want to call him out kind of in this category. Uh, Khalil Mullings, in, the, in these last two games, he's, he's like really looked like a good runner in a way that I, I'm not sure if we've seen, you know, his shiftiness, his maneuverability. He's he's gotten through some holes these last two games that um, to me was it was just a little surprising because we've seen him as a, this like fourth and one guy, right? Like just jam it down the middle behind the offensive line. But uh, in this game, especially, we saw him get early uh, reps in what appeared to be some load management style reps for Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. They were rotating Khalil Mullings in a little early, and then he got some carries late. He, of course, uh, broke free for the touchdown. And so to me, you know, we we knew he was going to be the number three guy, but I just didn't think we were going to see like any, any like flashes of brilliance out of him. It's not really what I expected, but he's got me believing that he's a versatile running back now. And so that it'll be interesting to see as the season unfolds, how he's utilized. Well, you know, it was uh, it was interesting. When I saw somebody breaking loose for a touchdown that wasn't Blake Corum, I immediately, uh, just for a split second, thought we were seeing Donovan Edwards. I wasn't watching yeah. the, the very start of the play. And then when I saw, I was like, that's way too big to be Edwards. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he broke loose. And uh, it had Michigan been further down the field, I think he could have gone for several more yards outrunning everybody on that defense it was it was really nice to see the big fella break loose for a big run there and uh it was that's a great call out because khalil mullings definitely not been getting a ton of love through the first uh few games but you know we saw some great things from him and he even graded out as one of the highest players on offense per pff yesterday if i'm not mistaken you can see it's intentional by the coaching staff they they're they're being very intentional about uh, Blake and Donovan, uh, just keeping them keeping them well. We're, we're going to use those guys if we need to, but uh, Harbaugh's just fine with a seventy-five yard performance for Blake Corum. Blake Corum showed up, and I don't even know if you saw his outfit that he showed up to the game in. It was his like blue collar mechanics shirt. You know that just screams like a guy that's ready to just go to work and get the job done and pack up and go home. Like I. I, as much as we want him to get 200 yard rushing games, it's just we're just not going to see it against teams that are are not competitive because we're we're gonna we're gonna shut him down, and that's that's fine with me because we saw what happened last year. We don't we don't want to take any risks. I was actually a little nervous because it looked like Blake got up a little gingerly on a play. I wasn't sure if he did or not, and then I saw Khalil Mullings in and. I'm not going to lie. I had a little mini panic attack. I, I like needed to see Corum again. And then he got back in. He looked just fine. He was shifty. And I was like, okay, okay, we're good. Uh, so there's that. And then before we move on from uh, last week's game and start being a little forward thinking here, uh, I just want to call out, we saw the, the backups finally show some life in this game, right? And that... That's what was killing us in these first three or four games is the starters looked fine, but the backups didn't show any life whatsoever. So, Matt, what did you think about uh, Tuttle and then uh, Denigal? I, uh, you know, I was very intrigued. I'm very intrigued by Jaden Denigal. Let me say that. The guy's been making some uh, pretty good plays. I don't know if what we've seen on tape uh so far is indicative of of him like 
being fantastic or anything. He's gotten lucky on a couple plays, I believe. Uh, that one long play that he came in and in week two or three or something that he completed. Uh, there was a little bit of luck on that one. Uh, in this in this last game, the touchdown pass, he was able to just the dude is so big. He was just able to throw it up so high that nobody could get it. Uh, but uh, it is interesting. Um, love what love what I'm seeing from Tuttle. But uh, it kind of leads me to believe that Jaden Denigal might be the next uh, starting Michigan quarterback that that we see after J.J. McCarthy, just based on the direction that the coaching staff is kind of trending in it. He's been shooting up. He's obviously surpassed Alex Orgy, Davis Warren, uh, two guys that were here before Jack Tuttle, you know, so Mm -hmm. very interesting to uh, to see the the preference to Jaden Denigal. And I'll be interested to see uh, his impact going forward uh, in a little bit more critical situations if he's allowed to play in them. I think that Jack Tuttle might be the backup. It's hard, it's hard to tell. I, I think that this game showed us that he's probably the backup because he was the number two I that came in. I do believe right now that Jack yeah. Tuttle is the backup to McCarthy. But speaking into what I'm really kind of referencing is more the is next year. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would, yeah, I would, I would I would assume that we're going to see a freshman Jaden Davis start. That's just that's just my hunch, but we don't need to talk about that yet. Let's go let's go secure the natty before we even worry about next year. Um but, but you know it leads us to ask the question is is Alex Orgy destined to transfer at this point because we're not we're not seeing him. We're not seeing him anywhere. He, a lot of us were like, put him in at linebacker, put him in at kick returner. You know, he's not getting quarterback reps. It, it just makes you wonder, right? Is this, is this a talented athletic guy that we're just not likely going to see at, at Michigan? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. I don't really know what to think about it. The guy looks the part of a total athlete that he could dominate the field uh wherever you put him but uh the coaching staff obviously knows something that we don't and you know when it really comes down to it we haven't seen a ton of the guy in actual game action so who are we to really kind of continue to to beat the hammer about it if uh if jim harbaugh's trusting Jaden denigal over alex orgy uh there's a reason so i'm kind of uh just kind of in a wait and see approach with it. But for now, the the Jack Tuttle and Jaden Denigal are playing fairly well. So I'm content with what I'm seeing so far. Yeah, same. Got to trust the coaching staff. Uh, another thing that we've learned that you typically learn about five games into the season is who we believe will be redshirted. And uh, I think the biggest question for us was the running back position. I think we probably have our answer, which is Cole Cabana and Benjamin Hall are both going to redshirt because we saw the depth uh, at running back. And I mean, they were playing Leon Franklin, right? And Tavier Dunlap. Like, those are not guys that you expect to. Like, I had Leon Franklin at eighth on the, on the depth chart coming into the season. And then Isaiah Gash got hurt. And so then I moved him to seventh. Uh, so you got you to gotta believe that if we're playing those guys, that, that we're just trying to conserve red shirts at this point for Benjamin Hall and Cole Cabana. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's actually a good thing. Those are guys that are going to develop into some pretty special playmakers for Michigan in the future. I've got a little bit of a what's the deal in regards to the run game. And uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. And at Perfect op- timing. And- it's probably pretty obvious, but we have yet to see Donovan Edwards really break loose in a game this year. Uh, he's had a few uh, around 50-yard contests uh, thus far through the first five games, but nothing spectacular out of Donovan. And, uh, you know, we had somewhat of a slow start last year, so uh, give him that, you know, but We haven't seen him break loose for anything uh, massive. And it kind of begs the question, uh, you know, Donovan's been very outspoken about going to the the league following this season. 
does Donovan Edwards, given his performance, and there's definitely still a lot of football to be played, does Donovan Edwards continue to try to go to the league after this season? And uh, and what's the deal with his production thus far? The coaching staff still giving him a lot of reps, pretty much just as much as Blake Corum, every, uh, almost every week, whether it be uh, in the receiving game or on or a substantial amount on the run on the run. So, uh, you know, what's the deal with Donovan Edwards, buddy? If there is one, what are your thoughts? I'm not worried about his production at all. I think we know exactly who Donovan Edwards is. I, I have no issues with the way he's being played or the way he's performing. I would love to see him break a long run and, uh, he's been close a couple times, even in this last game. You you saw he was like one missed tackle or one kind of uh, extra push away from a, a much bigger play. And I think we're going to see those plays. It, it would be different if we'd never seen it from him before, right? Like if he was just a high-profile recruit and he just couldn't get to the next level of the defense, we might start asking questions like, is this guy capable? Um, I don't. I don't believe that the injury that we found out about this offseason is playing a factor. It might a little bit, but I, to me, it doesn't look like, oh, this is a guy that's lost a step. It just looks like a guy that hasn't quite broken out yet. And we're, we're shutting him down early. That's one of the things about these games where, you know, you, you start looking at like J.J. McCarthy's numbers versus like somebody else's. And it's like, well, J.J. doesn't play in the fourth quarter at all, right? So a lot of these guys' numbers are just indicative of a three-quarter game. And Donovan Edwards is one of those guys, even though he's the number two back, he doesn't get reps with the, the second string. He gets reps with the first string, and then we shut down Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards at the same time, typically. So not worried about his production. But you and I do see things similarly here. And I think we probably are on the same wavelength here, which is like, is it a bad thing that he's not getting numbers? Maybe not, right? Maybe it's a good thing because it keeps the NFL off of him just a little bit. And, you know, do the NFL scouts know what he's made of already? Yes. But maybe they do have question marks about this. You know, there was this patella surgery or injury in the offseason that he had to recover from. He had the hand issue. Maybe the NFL guys do want to see a little bit more out of him in college. And so I think what's likely going to happen is... He's going to finish the year strong and go pro. But, you know, can we get one more year out of Donovan Edwards? Maybe a little one more year fund going on? I I would absolutely love to see him in a Michigan uniform where he's the feature back. And, you know, you got guys like Benjamin Hall and Cole Cabana uh, backing him up. Maybe even freshman you know, uh, what's his face, Jordan Marshall, you know, getting in the mix. Like I would love to see Donovan Edwards, uh, as the feature back. And so, yeah, I'm with you there. It'd be nice. And, uh, and still certainly very efficient with his production. There's really nothing you can knock about his game other than the fact that he hasn't broken loose for a big run. Still a lot of very important games left to be played, which is where, most NFL scouts will start to pay attention. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. And uh, like I said, it's not like he's played badly or anything, but I just don't know if we see Donovan Edwards attempt to go to the league if he falls to where he's a third or or even fourth round pick. You know what I mean? I just can't see Donovan uh, taking that leap if that's where he's being projected. So Something to keep an eye on, but uh, certainly wouldn't be wouldn't be bad to have Donovan for an extra year. I don't see him going in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. If I'm being honest with you, based on what we've seen this season, I don't think there's any teams out there that would draft him in the first two rounds. And so the question does become, does he take a later a later round uh, draft pick? So. Uh, and one more thing to note on, I know we're kind of we're really diving deep into this, but it's you know, this is Michigan. The run game is important. Um, you, you can't overstate the importance of the, the chemistry on the offensive line either. And when we saw the, this new O-line, uh, well, new tackles, it's not a new O-line, but the new tackles in there, we saw some chemistry issues. They were still working things out. 
that greatly affected a guy like Donovan Edwards. Um, I think we, I think what we saw this last game with Corum Edwards and Mullings getting pushed, getting five, six, seven, eight, nine yards every run, it, it shows that I think the line is ready to go. Uh, we know that Nebraska front seven is actually the strongest unit that they have, and Michigan was basically just slicing through it like butter, just doing whatever they wanted to do. So I think uh, Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State, Purdue, the, these, these teams are probably just not going to be able to slow down the run game in these future weeks. And, uh, and shout out to Blake Corum, you know, probably the most underappreciated Michigan Wolverine through these first five weeks. Uh, I think a lot of people, even myself included, were largely considering that Donovan Edwards would uh, maybe even surpass him to a little bit of an extent this season. Mm -hmm. And Blake Corum has remained reliable, has uh, done all the things that Blake Corum is accustomed to doing when his number is called. The shiftiness is still there. The cuts are still there. The breakaway speed and space is still there. I'm still loving everything that I'm seeing from Blake Corum, regardless if he's having 200-yard rushing outings or not. The guy is doing everything that he has always done for this team. So Michigan fans, don't forget to shed a little love to our guy Blake Corum because he has just been so reliable, still coming away with a couple touchdowns in this one, and he's still going to have a very great season when all of this is said and done. Yeah, it's easy to forget just how good he is. I, I was right there with you and everybody else thinking like, oh, Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum, this could be like a 50-50 thing. And then the season starts and you're like, oh yeah, Blake Corum is really, really good. He moved up to fifth all time on the Michigan rushing touchdowns list. I actually anticipate him moving uh, probably all the way to number two on that list. Anthony Thomas About is the one guy. Mike Hart. Yeah. Which is wild. I mean, that's wild. Mike Hart was four-year starter, got in the end zone a bunch. Um, Anthony Thomas is the one guy he probably will not catch. I think he's 15 touchdowns behind uh, Anthony Thomas. <laughs> a and so little far that, would, that would be a hell of a finish for Blake Corum. And it not, not, uh, you know, not completely unreasonable to think that he could do that, but uh, very unlikely. So I think that Blake Corum will probably end up being the second leading rushing touchdown uh, scorer in Michigan history, uh, you know, hopefully if he finishes the season strong. I've got a what's the deal for you, Matt, while we're uh, kind of on this what's the deal rant. Um, and I'm going to move away from Michigan. Let's start talking about some other areas of college football here. What's the deal with the defenses in the SEC? They're just not as strong as they used to be. Uh, at least they, uh, it appears that they're not. Alabama looks susceptible. Um, Georgia looks a little bit vulnerable. And then, uh, what was this game yesterday? LSU and Ole Miss. I know, I know you didn't get to see all the games yesterday, but there was well over 100 points scored in this game. Uh, well over 1,300 total yards in this game. The tackling was abysmal. It looked ridiculous. I mean, these teams look amazing because they're just moving the ball like crazy. There's, there's no defense. There's just no defense in the SEC. And it, it, it looks like the Big 12 of the past couple years. And so I'm wondering um, if the Big 10 has overtaken the SEC as uh, like just genuinely the strongest defensive conference in the country. And, um, I think the answer to that is yes. So what's the deal with the the defense and the SEC? It is very interesting. I mean, you're seeing like almost Pac-12 numbers being done out of the SEC right now. And mm -hmm. uh, I myself, I try not to get like too into like the weeds of like, it's all up for grabs this year. Like all these teams are playing like ass. You know what I mean? Because Things do tend to even themselves out as college football progresses and dominant teams start to assert themselves in areas and get certain things together that weren't necessarily together at the beginning of the season. But it still is very different from what uh, what we've seen in the past through five weeks. So 
it's definitely something worth monitoring uh, some of the poor performances of these defenses. And, uh, you know, it does kind of lead you to believe that that this season could be just a little bit more up for grabs than than what we've seen in the past for Michigan. So we'll continue to monitor that. What did you think of uh, of um, Colorado versus USC yesterday? Man, it was interesting because you you saw USC just running away with it, and you're like, oh, this is yeah, what we saw last week. You know, USC is just a a spitting image of Oregon. They, uh, I mean, by the way, it's a, just a big Caleb Williams circle jerk in the media right now. Like these guys are just all over Caleb Williams, which the guy's good. I mean, he deserves it. I just, uh, we got to realize like he's, he's a, a product of this Lincoln Riley system that we've seen at Oklahoma for many, many years. It's a move the ball fast, spread offense, no defense kind of situation. And so um, I don't want to get too far into the Caleb Williams rant, but like the guy is really, really good. I don't think that he's hands down better than, you know, Drake May, Quinn Ewers, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix. Like, I, I think he's just, he's like, deserves to be considered the number one guy right now. But they're, they're calling this guy like better than Patrick Mahomes and stuff. It's like, all right, guys, let's just, let's calm down there. So anyway, that's my little Caleb Williams rant. But you asked me about the game. Colorado actually that they were like enough is enough and they they turned it up and um it didn't surprise me I, like honestly it was it was a little surprising just how close they got to tying that game up but it didn't surprise me because the reason why USC is ranked you know 6 7 8 9 and not number 1 is because we all know they don't play defense and then we just saw it again they don't play defense in the Pac-12 I'm more concerned about Oregon and Washington like those teams look legit. USC is like, yeah, can they can they run, you know, run with anybody on the offensive side of the ball? Yes. Are they going to end up losing again to a team like Utah that plays defense? Like, yeah, probably. So I, I think they'll it'll be the USC that we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, that's a good call. I uh, I was very intrigued by that almost collapse by them uh, in the fourth quarter. Also very aggravated about how much it was bleeding into the Michigan game because uh, it really yeah. is such a media circle jerk. And then when you throw Dion into that mix with Caleb Williams, I was like, oh, my God, we're never going to watch this football game. But uh, it was definitely an interesting sight to behold prior to the Michigan game. Uh, what do you think of what we saw from the Big Ten this week? Well, first off, before we get to football, uh, Michigan State NIL Collective, SD4L, which stands for Spartan Dogs for Life, completely leaves the athletes hanging, says they can't sustain, and they received less than 100 overall subscriptions. And so basically what this means is a lot of the athletes that were supposed to be getting paid by uh, one of Michigan State's premier NIL collectives, they're not getting their money that they thought they were going to get. And this happens in the midst of a 30-day window after Mel Tucker gets fired where players are allowed to transfer freely. Um, this is not good for Michigan State. This is not good for Michigan State at all. Um, and, and so just moving to the... Well, let me, get, let me get your comment there before we get to football. Any, any comments about what, what we're seeing out of East Lansing? You know, ordinarily, if it were any other program with uh, any other group of student athletes that weren't at Michigan State, I would uh, I'd probably think it was honestly a pretty sad situation. But uh, these guys are just jerks, you know, not really a fan <laughs> of them, not really a fan yeah. of the stunt they pulled in the in the tunnel last year. So. You know, it's kind of on them to figure out uh, and. <laughs> It's it Mel, Mel Tucker kind of made that bed for them and they've got to lay in it now. So unfortunate for that program. And uh, we'll just kind of wait and see how it all kind of unfolds and what product they're able to field following all of this drama. But uh, definitely a fallout over there in East Lansing, to say the very least. Yeah, there's a certain um, it's it's weird. There's like a balance that needs to happen with rivals in college football. Like for instance, if Ohio State completely imploded and became irrelevant for a decade, 
that would hurt the rivalry, right? And and you could even say that Michigan, actually, Michigan did that, and it it did. It hurt the rivalry, right? Like it, it was, it it didn't feel as much like the premier rivalry in all of the nation when Ohio State was winning ten ten games in a row, nearly. Um, so I would never want to see Ohio State completely drop off the map. As much as it, as much as it, uh, brings me joy to see them struggle. You still need them to field some good teams for the rivalry to hold up. I do not feel that way about Michigan State. I'm perfectly content with Michigan State just tumbling into the abyss and being like an 0-12 team and us just owning the state of Michigan. I, I'm just fine with that. I'm, I, for, for whatever reason, like that's fine with me. So, yeah, I'm, I feel bad for some of the fans that are, you know, I guess – yeah, they just, for whatever reason, grew up supporting the green and white. Uh, but for the most part, it's just I'm I'm glad to see that that program struggling um, on the football field as well. They just don't look very good. Um, let me pull up some of the scores in the Big Ten from this week. Speaking uh, did, of struggling, you catch that Penn State Northwestern score at the half? Oh yeah, yeah. That that was, you know. Last week we were asking, like, is Penn State really that good or is Iowa really that bad? And we got our answer. Iowa is really that bad, <laughs> you know, because Penn State shut out Iowa and everybody was like, oh, my God, maybe Penn State's like really, really real. Well, Penn State then comes out and, um, yeah, they dominated Northwestern at the end, but it did not look good at the half. Um, Minnesota got another win against, you know, uh, Louisiana, no, you know, whatever that. Minnesota does not look very good. Indiana does not look very good. The team that all of a sudden looks like they could be really good is Maryland, right? And we've been talking about Maryland as this potential trap game for Michigan sandwiched between Penn State and Ohio State. So outside of Michigan, there's three other teams in the Big Ten that are sitting at 5-0, and and we play all three of them consecutively at the end of the year. So it will be interesting to see what happens, uh, you know, come November. It certainly will. And all of the haters that are hating on Michigan's schedule, I mean, you guys just wait because they've got a gauntlet at the end of the season in those three games. Uh, all of the the media and the experts and what have you will uh, will have their chance to see this Michigan team in action when uh, when that finally does come. But uh, in the meantime. You know, what are you thinking about uh, Michigan as the number one team in the country? As that's what some people are saying. What are your thoughts on mm -hmm. that? I release a, a power ranking every single week. Um, and I, I will not have Michigan number one this week. I will have them firmly in the number two spot. Okay. I, think, I, think, I think that they're going to uh gain votes in the AP poll. I th I think they're we're going to see Michigan with a lot of number 1 votes. I think Texas will have some number 1 votes. Georgia just left themselves open to that. I think they're going to lose some votes. To me, you can't supplant Georgia because they're the two-time defending national champs. They haven't really they haven't lost anything since and it's just not. It's just not fair at this point. Yeah, they they struggled on the road against an, a mid SEC team, but they still got the W, and they still haven't been dethroned. And uh, I, I I'm enough of a college football purist to believe that Georgia deserves to stay in that spot as long as they keep to, keep winning. Basically, um, now if if Michigan puts together a few more strong performances and Georgia really struggles against the the shitty teams that they've got coming up on their schedule. I might reconsider that, but uh, for now, Georgia stays at number one. Um, and by the way, I just want to go back. You, you mentioned the schedule a little bit, Matt. I, I don't know if you've seen this, but UNLV, UNLV has won every single other game that they've played, and they've scored at least 40 points in every single other game. And so... Everybody's like, oh, Michigan plays these cupcakes. And it's like, well, even these cupcakes that we're beating are winning some games. I believe Rutgers has won the other four games they've played too. And so these are not. Uh, you see Bowling Green? Bowling, Bowling Green, Green knocked off Georgia Tech yesterday. Georgia Tech, yeah. And so it's starting to look like, I mean, I, I don't have the analytics in front of me, but Michigan's strength of schedule 
might be a little bit better than it looks. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, buddy. You know, uh, at least more so than it did last year with like Colorado State, Hawaii, uh, those kind of guys. You know, I'd say that uh, Michigan's schedule this season so far has at least uh, done a little bit more than their uh, their cupcakes that they faced last year. So, totally. You know, it is what it is. I don't know how the win over Nebraska stacks up against Georgia's win over Auburn. Um, I personally didn't think Nebraska was that great heading into this game. I kind of thought it was going to yeah. be a little bit of a blowout. I thought they might do some things a little bit differently to slow down the run game. Uh, but, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been – I wasn't shocked by the outcome of yesterday's game. So – I'm not uh, so blind to the fact that Michigan beat up on a Nebraska team that may be one of the weakest teams in the Big Ten at this point. You know, that's at least kind of where I had them in my Big Ten power rankings last week after their other most recent loss. But, you know, I'll probably uh, I'd probably gravitate more towards having Michigan stay at two as well. Obviously, by the time this pod comes out. Uh, listeners will know where the media has Michigan ranked, but I think you and I kind of see it similarly for now. I'd be very, very surprised if the coaches poll or the, the AP poll put Michigan at number one. I, I would just be incredibly surprised to see that. Um, all right, you want to wrap things up with a maybe maybe a pump the brakes and then a quick little chat about Minnesota. Did you have you got to pump the brakes for this week? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I've got some stuff to say about Rod Moore and Keon Sab, right? Because mm. we've seen a whole lot of Keon Sab, and uh, I think it was even mentioned during the game that Rod Moore was being worked in at, at nickel to, uh, to get Keon Sab more reps at safety, you know? And it kind of begs the question for me, uh, is, is Keon Sab supplanting rod Moore a little bit to an extent and uh, i don't want to go full on with that or anything but uh let me know your thoughts on that am, am i uh kind of out of line here uh you said it you don't get to say you don't get to back out by saying i'm not going full on here you you said the words out loud you committed <laughs> bl- you committed blasphemy right here on the big house bleachers podcast and you know what i'm gonna give you a full pump the brakes So my spiritual advisors, Jared, Jared Stormer and Andy Bailey from the Out of the Blue podcast, they've taught me, you don't throw on the, the Holy Sabbath, right? So Keon Sab does not get thrown on. I agree with you there. But you absolutely cannot put anybody above our Lord and Savior, you know, Mr. Spitting Image of Morgan Freeman himself, God Moore. God Moore is firmly uh, positioned in that starting safety role. We love having, you know, Keon Sab back there as an option. Uh, I was hating a little bit on, on Rod Moore last week for that missed tackle that he came out for, but um, no, no, no. Rod, Rod Moore is the man. Keon Sab will have his time. So you get a full pump the brakes from me. Let me say this. Let me say this. I'll stick by it. I'll stick by my words, but I'm not taking anything away from the play of the Sabbath. Keon Sab is making some excellent plays. I don't know if uh, if you caught it yesterday, but the man ran all the way around the defense during that QB sneak on the attempted uh, either third or fourth down conversion, whatever I, it was. I saw that. Dragged yeah. that Harburg guy clean back from getting uh-huh. the first down and uh you know i'm just loving what i'm seeing from keon sab and uh he he once again was very heavy in snap production yesterday i don't know if uh if anything that rod moore is going through is still like due to lingering injury or anything like that uh in terms of his snap counts or anything it's also entirely possible that you know they could just be saving him more for uh, some of those bigger games and just finding other ways to utilize him and Keon Sab at the same time. But it is interesting. It's interesting. All of these guys uh, in the secondary that we've been seeing 
getting a substantial amount of playing time even after the return of uh of Godmore and Will Johnson. Well, I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean, it, it, it's great to have all that talent back there in the secondary. I've got a pump the brakes question for for you here. Um, so here's my take. I believe that Maryland will expose Ohio State next week. And I'm not saying Maryland will win that game, but I am saying Maryland will expose the Buckeyes when they play next week. I am not going to pump the brakes on that and uh, what have you, whether that be from my uh, bias against Ohio State or uh, or whatever, but I'm not entirely convinced on this Buckeye team yet. So uh, I'm not going to pump the brakes on you. I'm going to give Maryland a little bit of flowers here, especially considering that close contest that they got into last year when, in my eyes, Ohio State was was better than they are now. Whether I'm wrong about that remains to be seen, but I'm very interested to see how they match up against Maryland this season. Now, the Buckeyes could just run away with this thing. I, I'm open to that as well because it's, it's a very matchup-dependent game. If, uh, you know, Baby Tua has 13 touchdowns so far this year, so if, if they can shut down the passing game for, for Maryland, then it, it's going to be a long, long day for Maryland. I, I don't think Maryland will be able to necessarily establish the line of scrimmage and run it up the gut. Um, so it'll, it'll be extremely matchup dependent, but I do see a few scenarios that exist where Ohio State looks, you know, looks like they're running around trying to play catch up in this game. And so uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see. We, pl- we play both teams. They both look to be pretty good right now. Um, we're not entirely sure how good Notre Dame is, and that you know that Ohio State Notre Dame game ended uh, kind of miraculously in the Buckeyes' favor right there at the end. So, all right, so you're going to keep driving on that one. Um, let's keep driving all the way to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where Michigan will take on the Golden Gophers next week. Uh, you scared? Trap game vibes, anything like that going on? No, not in the slightest. Yeah. I think we're going to see another dominant effort from Michigan this week. I think they roll against Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota lost to Northwestern, which credit to Northwestern is starting to look slightly better than the worst team in the Big Ten, which everybody thought they were going to be after yeah. Pat Fitzgerald got canned. Uh, but still, you know, this is a very meager uh team offensively defensively uh i've seen them do some things right hold some teams to uh hold a couple teams to some low scoring games but i think that we see kind of a similar outcome with what we saw against nebraska which uh which had a very close outing with minnesota to start off the season this year so not super worried. They lose a lot after last year. They're they're uh, kind of learning some things with this new team. So uh, I think Michigan rolls in another dominant victory, buddy. Yeah, it's it's hard. I always try to build up the opponent. I don't know if you've learned that about me yet or not. Like on Twitter, I'm always tweeting out like, yeah, I, I never like to be too confident going into these games. And so like last week, I was talking about the wind and Nebraska's rush defense and. It's hard though. It's 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 just hard to see a scenario where Michigan doesn't dominate Minnesota in this game. Minnesota should have lost to Nebraska in week 1 and they pulled it out. Um the only game that they've really handled steadily was Eastern Michigan and they didn't they didn't re- I mean it was 25 to 6. It's not like they beat them by 50 points or anything. They got whooped by North Carolina, a decent decently good ACC team. They lost in overtime to Northwestern, which is a major stain. I mean, that's not good at all. And then last week, you know, midway through the third quarter, they were in a four-point game with the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns. And so I just, I just don't know. You know, P.J. Fleck and his energy always makes me a little nervous because he's, he's a, a good motivator. Um, but I just don't see a world that exists where Michigan doesn't handle this game. So I'm, I'm hopeful and optimistic. Uh, 
you know, the night game vibes at Minnesota night game. The last time we saw that was the famous Joe Milton meltdown. Uh, so I love that. that doesn't feel I great. still reflect fondly on that game, mostly because of Mike Barrett. <laughs> well, the Mike Barrett I, you know, game. Yeah. Yeah. I just, that was, oh wait, that wasn't a meltdown. We, we actually beat the shit out of them. Didn't we? Oh yeah. There was all kinds yeah. of hype stemming from that game. I That's Minnesota right. opened the season as a uh, top 25 opponent. Uh, there was all the Cam Newton hype. Yeah, from Joe yeah, Milton. yeah. Uh, we were we were humming after that one, buddy. <laughs> it was kind of you know, down after that, though. You know what it was? It was my, the trauma of the following week against Michigan State that was clouding my memory for a second. Because because you're right that yeah we all thought we were going to win it all after that Minnesota game, and then it was the the col- the collapse came the next week uh, against Michigan State. So anyway. Should be a good, good game. Uh, Matt, where can people follow you? Absolutely, buddy. They can follow me uh, on my primary Twitter handle at Maze Crusader or uh, also on Maze and Brew where me and my team are putting out all kinds of great content all the time at mazeandbrew.com. Where can they find you, buddy? Man, the easiest place is probably on Twitter at Wolverine Cron. Also, uh, Wolverine Chronicle on YouTube. Uh, hit up the blog site, wolverinechronicle.com. Uh, everybody that's still listening here, please uh, get on you know, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to the podcast. Go ahead and subscribe. Uh, that'll help you guys out because you'll never miss an episode. It'll help us out because it, it boosts our numbers a little bit, a little mutually beneficial situation there. Um, for my good friend, Matt Hartwell, I'm Michael Smeltzer. That was the Big House Bleachers podcast. As always, go blue. Go blue.